And if you want to get really, really good, pay more attention to investing in the skill of developing people and spend more time on the front end finding the right people rather than just hiring the wrong person and then spending too much time trying to put a square peg in a round hole. Ask me how I know this. Hello and welcome to Pillars of Wealth Creation, where we talk about creating financial success with a special focus on business and real estate. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. Now, let's get to it. Hey, our sponsor for the show today is Pine Financial Group, the leader in hard money lending in Colorado and Minnesota, and they were recently approved to offer their investment publicly. This investment offers only for investors in Colorado and Minnesota and is only made through their investment prospects. Get your copy today. Simply visit www.pineinvestments.com and click to get started. Look, there's a reason why some of the wealthiest people in history invest in loans backed by real estate. Learn more about the risks and returns at www.pineinvestments.com. Hey, welcome back to Pillars of Wealth Creation. I'm your host, Todd Dexammer. With me today, I'm excited to have Mike Sowers. Mike, how are you doing today? Living the dream one breath at a time. Awesome, awesome. Well, why don't you give our listeners a little bit about who you are, uh, what company uh, you are with, and uh, what you guys got going on today? Sure, yeah. My name's Mike Sowers. I'm with Commercial Investors Group and Commercial Construction Group. Um, ultimately, we're just a, a small fish in a big pond. We uh, do development and investing in commercial properties, primarily value add and um, Starting to get into some more ground up opportunities, but primarily buying existing tired buildings in kind of the half a million to three million range. Um, and then funding them using partners and fixing up the buildings, filling them with tenants, and then either flipping them or uh, putting management in place and forgetting about them. We also do have an in-house uh, management division uh, but still kind of really creating the processes that go into that and really ironing that out. We just took on our first third party management client as well. So right now I'm looking for uh, a management partner actually to step in and, and help me scale that business up. Uh, ultimately the goal is to create uh, residual income for all of our partners and really develop long-term relationships. Um, you know, for much of my life, money was my God and I've kind of redefined my purpose in life a lot and done a big walk with my wife and just really making sure that as we grow and scale this business going forward, that we're being very deliberate to, to focus on, you know, the why of why we do what we do. And that's not just about transactions or even relationships for that matter, but really at the heart of what we do is developing people, places, and ideas to bless the lives of others. And that's what really counts for us. And that's what, that's what drives us forward. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I like, I like how you say that so many people, money rules them. Um, and they just, that's all they focus on is, is they focus on building that money up, getting as much as they can. And they, a lot of us don't even know why um, we're doing it just other than the, that's like the driver, the money. Uh, so I like that you kind of mentioned that because I think a lot of people either have been there or maybe are there right now. Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly was for the majority of my life. You know, I was very driven. Uh, I come from a divorced family and uh, I always heard my mom crying over money. And uh, at one point in my life when I had more money in my account than I had ever had, I had sold the residential division to my remodeling company and I felt more bankrupt inside than I had ever been, you know, and you start realizing like, why, you know, what is, what, what has God called me to do on this earth? What is my purpose? Why am I here? And really thinking through um, those things and, and really building a lifestyle around making sure that it's not just about status and success. And sometimes you got to humble yourself and, you know, give credit where credit's due. Yeah. Yeah, you know, absolutely. So now we view ourselves more as a distribution hub for blessings. And, you know, we, we want to be able to bless the lives of other people, whether that's our tenants, our vendors, you know, and, and profit's not a dirty word. 
So it's not that we're, we're anti-money. Money doesn't have to be evil. It's just the love of money. So yeah. uh, I just don't do deals that are lucrative if I don't feel right about them. If somebody is being taken advantage of and they just don't know it or, you know, certain things just don't pencil out for me. Um, I've seen a lot of scenarios where maybe a tenant's going to overpay for a space and we can do the deal, but I got to tell them what I think market rate is. And sometimes, uh, sometimes, um, I leave money on the table and it just, it is what it is. Yep. No, that's a good point. I mean, a lot of people are presented potential opportunities, but it might not be right. I know I've been presented potential opportunities and it's either not the right partners or like you said, you're somehow taking advantage of somebody that you really shouldn't be taking advantage of. It's not like, you know, there, there's other instances where you're getting a great deal because they're in a distress situation, but not necessarily even that. Sometimes you're just taking advantage of an unsuspecting person if you do the deal. And those are deals to walk away from, in my opinion, uh, as well. So I like that. Um, tell us more about the, so you're in a commercial real estate. So give us an example of the type of deal that you either are doing right now or that you've done in the past. So people, our listeners can understand what commercial. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, our bread and butter would be buying like a 20,000 square foot. uh, I mean, um, little warehouse building, chopping it up retending it kind of bringing things up to market rate i mean ultimately commercial buildings are a little different than residential because they're valued at a multiple of their income stream not based on comparable sales so that's what i that's what really gets me jazzed about i mean i've been doing real estate since 2005 when i bought my first property the vast majority of my career was residential and once i transitioned into commercial i broke off the rearview mirror because It's so much more exciting for so many different reasons that we can either go into or not. But the, the primary type of deal that I really love doing is where I have multi-tenant kind of smaller units, one to 3,000 square feet. Um, we're only investing in the Twin Cities here right now. And we do value add. So a value add opportunity is where you can increase the net income, thus increasing the value of the building. So I look for inherently underperforming properties, either they're being poorly managed, there's vacancy or under market rate rents, or um, the expenses are not being managed properly. And usually they're really tired buildings. They're usually from kind of a lot of self-managed. Honestly, most of our deals are self-managed deals where it's somebody who just really shouldn't be managing their own property and they're managing it and they're just, they're not managing their expenses. Well, they're um, not keeping the building full and they're because their building looks like super tired and outdated. They're not getting full market rate because they have to kind of drop their pants on price to get tenants in there. And most of those people don't really know how to market a building effectively. They don't know how to, you know, do a renovation. Um, And what they don't understand is this basic concept. Like, let's say, so the value of a building is it's net operating income divided by cap rate. Um, Or you can think of it in simple terms. It's a multiple of its net operating income. So at a cap rate of 8%, um, the multiple is like 12 and a half is what it's the inverse of 8%. So think of it like this. So we bought a property last year. The in-place net income was like $40,000. So at an 8% cap rate, the fair market value on that building should be like $500,000. But it was listed for $800,000. The building was 100% occupied. So everybody that looked at it, I'm sure, was like, well, I'm not going to pay a 5% cap rate for this occupied building. And there's no vacancy, so there's no room for upside. And what we realized is that the gross rents on that building were like 583 a square foot and the market's like 825. Hmm. So it doesn't always have to be vacancy. It can be a combination of vacancy and or market rates that are below market rent. So what we did is we got in there and most of the tenants were super upset about all this deferred maintenance. And we said, all right, you know, what are you looking for? And we went tenant to tenant and 
it's not about going in and strong arming people. It's about going in and creating value. Again, it's all about creating value for everybody you come in contact with and blessing their life. So, you know, we'd say, well, what are you looking for? Do you need more space? We had one guy that was done with this space. He wanted out of his lease. And the, there was another guy who wanted to acquire that space and they wanted to build out some stuff in the front lobby and they wanted a new unit heater. So we just kind of went in and like, all right, well, let's just restructure all this. And we signed a bunch of new leases at market rate and there was a few holdouts and that's okay. Um, I think our last holdouts, uh, rolling over here in September, he's paying 835 bucks for a 2000 square foot warehouse space wow. or no, sorry, 3000 square foot warehouse space that the market rate is on that's 2000 a month. Wow. Wow. So, you know, ultimately I think that you can manage properties in two different ways. You can be, you know, kind of the very combative you know, everything's going to come down to the written lease terms. And, you know, that's the diehard way I'm going to manage the property. So you can deal with contracts or you can deal with people. And I'm a people person. So I want to be able to meet the needs of my tenants. And trust me, there's difficult tenants out there. And, you know, they're hard to deal with. Those are the type of people I want to move on from. I don't offer to renew their lease. But the tenants that are good, solid entrepreneurs, I'm an entrepreneurship major from the Carlson School here at the U of M. So I really, really have a passion for entrepreneurial studies. Um, you know, I love small businesses. I love the fact that in America here, we have the opportunity to create a lifestyle for ourselves with no limitations and create multiple streams of income, whether that's active, passive, or residual income. And business does not discriminate. Anybody can be successful with the right skill set and the right attitude and the right action steps. So uh, I get real passionate. And the reason I love commercial so much more than residential, besides the fact that it's bankers hours instead of nights and weekends, <laughs> is I'm dealing with winners. I'm dealing with small business owners. They're usually very decisive. They're usually business savvy. They can make decisions quickly and they get it. So um, is there emotion still involved? Absolutely. This is the home that people's business is in. There is emotional about that, if not more emotional than they are about owning a home. But it's just the caliber of person that I'm dealing with tends to be decisive, business savvy, you know, they can understand the numbers behind it and things like that. And I just genuinely enjoy dealing with, with uh, small business owners who are tenants and other property owners who are usually way farther along in life than me, uh, other brokers, bankers, and attorneys, and all these people I get to bump shoulders with, you know, I'm learning stuff every single day. And my hat's off to you for doing this podcast. We ended up doing, doing one to kind of follow suit and it's just so fun to like bring in people that are smarter and farther along than I am and be able to pick their brain and stuff like that. And I just find that I enjoy it. I'm kind of at a point where it's like, you know, is another five grand really going to make a difference or how do I want to spend my day? So I'm paying a lot more attention to just the energy levels and kind of the, the attitude of the people that I'm with and just, you know, I'm in a situation where you just have to, you just have to cut out the bad apples like as soon as possible or they spoil the whole batch. Yeah, no, that, that right there at the, at the end there was great point. A lot of, there's so many people you can hang around with and who do you really want to spend your day with? Is it really worth the extra money for the potential headache and the potential problems you're going to have along the way where you'll probably end up actually making less money in the end? when you start hanging around with the, the, the bad apples that are going to, you said, ruin the whole batch. So um, <clears throat> talk about a, a couple questions I have on what you said there. A uh, few things. So first of all, how are you finding these deals? Are they brought by brokers or what are you doing to dig up these, these uh, value add deals? Yeah, we use a multi-prong approach. I guess I could finish uh, my, I, I, I definitely want to jump into that, but let me, <laughs> I didn't finish answering your last question. I just realized. <laughs> okay. So we bought this property uh, like 40,000 
uh, net operating income in place. And for the listeners, if you don't know what that is, that's if you bought a building all cash, you know, what is the income minus expenses on an annualized basis? So net income, net operating income. Um, so that's without a mortgage factored in. Right. Um, so the NOI was 40 in place. We ended up paying 700,000 for it uh, on the surface. And see what you got to realize is if you apply a cap rate to an unstabilized asset, it gives you an irrelevant number. Yeah. You can only apply a cap rate to a stabilized asset. So stabilized is market rate occupancy, market rate rents. Yeah. So on the surface, you overpaid for the property. Um, yeah. And that's what everybody else I'm sure looked at. It. And it was a, just a tired building. And, it, you know, there was tough tenants in there, man. It smelled like drugs when you're walking around, you know, there's just cigarette butts everywhere. I mean, it was just tough. Right. So we got in, we got rid of some bad tenants, the good tenants, you know, we, we gave them what they wanted, whether that was more or less space and the renovations they wanted. We kind of did a cosmetic update. And the in-place NOI on that now a year later is a little over a hundred thousand hmm. dollars. So that building just will on a desktop appraisal at an 8% cap rate should appraise at about 1.2. And I think we put like 50 grand into it. And I probably have another 50 grand this summer that I need to do. So we'll be in at about 800. It'll be worth about 1.2. That's the type of value add project that I want to be doing. And then that thing cash flows, uh, the mortgage payment on that's about 2,700 a month. So do the math on that. We're our, our net income's like eight, 8,500 a month. Right, so right. we're like probably, you know, five to 5,500 a month in cash flow on that baby. I'll do that deal all day long. I'll take five of those properties and then I'll sail off in the sunset, you know, 25 grand a month. So really for me, you know, you don't have to be hitting these home runs. I'm not trying to develop these downtown, you know, projects uh, with, you know, hundred stories or anything like that, where I'm going to risk everything, but that's a pretty safe little stable bet that I can make there. And if you were to buy a bunch of single family homes and try and duplicate it on the residential side, let's say you're getting three, four, 500 bucks a door or something like that on single family homes, you'd have to do what, like 10 of them, 10 or 11 to get, you know, or more. And I, I don't know what, what kind of cash flow per unit are you get? You know, we don't do a whole lot of multifamily stuff. Uh, for multifamily, I mean, it really, honestly, it depends on the area, it depends on the class. I mean, anywhere from after more cash flow after mortgage, anywhere from about seventy-five, even less than that, so at times, uh, all the way up to maybe one twenty-five, one fifty, at that kind of your higher end. On like a large multifamily. Sure. And, and so that's where the scalability of that project really comes in on your side versus doing the residential stuff. So it's, it's no different. It's just instead of renting to consumers, we're renting to small businesses. But essentially, it's the exact same strategy you're doing. We're financing them, doing a, a waterfalls the same way that you're doing, you know, where yeah. we're giving up preferred rate of return and participating that way. And yeah. You know, I started thinking about like, wow, I can start doing a lot more deals. I got a lot of people knocking on my door wanting to hand me money now and, and be private partners. But um, I don't want to grow too fast. I've learned that lesson the hard way. I'm kind of I just relearned it again by taking on too much property management staff and kind of having to weed my own garden in that area right now. So, um, man, I mean, it's just uh it's crazy how you can learn the same lesson over and over and over again in life and still, still not get it. So <laughs> I certainly don't have it all figured out. You know, each day we, we just, we just try and learn and be better and do the right thing. And I think at the end of the day, we get rewarded um, for having that mindset, but how do we find these deals? Um, it's a combination of things. So we, we target um, motivated sellers inherently. So, developing relationships with people who are going to be the first call of somebody in bankruptcy, probate, foreclosure, divorce, whether that's attorneys um, or counselors, workout people. So we target all those kinds of people. We want to be, so there you, so we target the people who, if I'm in bankruptcy, who's the first person I'm going to call? Probably my bankruptcy attorney. Okay. And who's the first person he's going to call? So we want to be top of mind for those people, you know, for a lot of attorneys. Um, 
The other thing is there, there's really three different strategies and I, I call it hunting, fishing, and farming. And I think a good marketing person uses all three strategies effectively. I see a lot of companies that are only using one technique and markets change or, or things change and they, they kind of get caught. So hunting is if I need to eat a meal, let's do a deal. I go direct to property owners and I contact them. What are you doing with your property? You know, I want to buy your property. So that's hunting. I'm targeting a specific animal, if you will, and I'm going directly after it. Um, so we do that. Prospecting is probably what you would, what you would call hunting, so to speak. So prospecting would be contacting them. I'm old fashioned. I like kind of the old phone call, but you can sales navigator in mail. You can find them on Facebook. You can uh, text message them. There's a lot of, you know, you can send them a piece of direct mail, any kind of direct contacting directly to property owners. Hey, we want to buy your property. That kind of stuff is how you can get leads. Um, so we're doing that stuff. The next one's fishing, that's advertising, that's throwing my lure out there, my shiny object, and whatever bites, bites. I don't directly control the results of that, but you're gonna get something. So that's going, you know, throwing an ad on Craigslist, that's the little bandit signs, that's having a website, doing some pay-per-click, Facebook advertising type stuff, and stuff flows in off of that. So that's kind of an in-between strategy. And then farming is really a long-term play. Farming, if you got to eat today and you, you get, you, that's planting seeds and then cultivating your crop. And that's your network of bankers, attorneys, and commercial and residential real estate agents. So every day we're trying to cultivate those relationships, really provide value for the people that are in our network so that we're top of mind when they get that pocket listing or get, they get that phone call and they view us as a, a trusted, honest, and knowledgeable and professional resource. Somebody who, you know, is going to be able to provide a fair evaluation um, and get them an offer quickly if it's a deal that we can help out on. So that's the kind of uh, farming technique. And, and so we kind of use all three strategies, really. Cool, cool. Good answer. Um, let's talk about marketing and getting tenants because I see commercial buildings, retail, whatever. I see, I mean, usually it's retail because that's just what you see the most of, I think. Um, and you know they're vacant because there's no sign up there anymore. Yeah. Um, let's talk about marketing and getting these tenants. Uh, what I was going to say is a lot of commercial, what I think of commercial and I'm naive about it uh, other than, you know, the multifamily that I had or have. Um, but you see a lot of these buildings that you've got a vacancy and it just sits vacant for months, potentially even years. Um, so how do you avoid that type of trap? Cause that would be, the biggest concern in my opinion is sometimes I see these buildings vacant forever or units in, in within the building. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, um, there's a real fear of people moving from residential into commercial because you don't know what you don't know. Right. And I think for me, the biggest reason why I never got into commercial is because I didn't understand how to lease the end product. And I was afraid of exactly what you're talking about, getting stuck yeah. with a massive mortgage payment, not being able to fill the building. And so inherently, it, it's real estate one-on-one stuff, man. Buy an asset that's in demand in a good location, and you're not going to have that problem. Um, my tenants are like, you know, guys that work on car stereos and small CPA firms and a little design company and, you know, state farm insurance and, you know, the small remodeling contractor, um, the guy who's fixing up cars, um, flooring contractors, plumbing contractors, fencing, con a lot of contractors. So having a con contractors background i love like the little kind of small bay warehouse type product call it the mullet of real estate some people call it flex property where it's uh it's business in the front and party in the rear so 
It's got like, you know, almost like a showroom storefront or office facade on the yeah. front, kind of parking. And then you drive around back, you either got dock doors or drive-in doors. I love the little buildings. Um, we have uh, one right now that has kind of drive-in doors in the back. So it's perfect. It's like block construction, flat roof. Yeah. And they can have their little showroom up front and they can have their storage and drive their vehicles in the back. That product is in such high demand because it costs more to build it. I mean, to build that product right now is like 70 to 80 bucks a square foot. So if I can pick it up for like 40 or 50 bucks a square foot, hmm. nobody can build new product around me and rent it for less than me. Yeah. No, it makes sense. <clears throat> We bought a 19,000 square foot building just like that at 10 units for like, that was the 700,000. So I'll do the math on that. It's like 37 bucks a square foot. Yeah. You can't recreate the product for that. So I'm always looking at, you know, what are the risks, rewards, and opportunities? Kind of the old SWOT analysis, if you will, from marketing class, marketing 101 you know, what are the strengths and weaknesses of this property? And then what are the opportunities and threats? And so as a threat in that threat quadrant, I'm always looking at, you know, what can somebody else duplicate this product across the street for? So I don't, so I guess, you know, there's three ways to appraise the value of a property, comparable sales, income approach, and cost reproduction. I look at all three, even if I'm only weighing Income approach. So income approach should only be used again. You should only capitalize an in income to apply uh, a cap rate to get a value if it's a stabilized asset. So inherently, I'm targeting non-stabilized assets. So I actually can't use an income approach to value what it's worth now. I use the income approach to value what it will be worth once I stabilize it. And then I back out my cost to stabilize and the margin I need to make to value what I would pay for it now. So it's just a little bit of a different approach. But then I compare that to the cost to build a new one across the street and what other vacant buildings are selling for per square foot. Let's shift a so little So that's bit. really my, my analysis strategy. Okay. okay. Hey, let's take a minute to thank our sponsor, Pine Financial Group. Look, you work hard for your money. Is your money working hard for you? Because of inflation, money sitting idle erodes your wealth. Many investors understand that real estate is a great investment, but may not want the effort or the risk that comes with owning their own property. They want to sit back and have payments, hit their bank account each and every month. Stop eroding your wealth and start building it by asking your money to work for you. You should be earning profits while you sleep in investment backed by real estate. Pine Financial Group, the leader in hard money lending in Colorado and Minnesota, was recently approved to offer their investment publicly. This investment offers only for investors in Colorado and Minnesota and is only made through the investment prospectus. Get your copy today. Simply visit www.pineinvestments.com and click to get started. There's a reason why some of the wealthiest people in history invest in loans backed by real estate. Learn more about the risks and returns at www.pineinvestments.com. It's www.pineinvestments.com. Hey, I'm super excited to announce the North Star Real Estate Conference that uh, I am putting together along with a few other friends, and we are expecting to have a great crowd there. This is going to be September 20th and 21st in Minneapolis in the Twin Cities area, and hey, it'll still be warm. And we're going to have a ton of great speakers there. We're going to have uh, some motivational speakers. We're expecting to have uh, speakers talking about a lot of different commercial real estate topics, multifamily and commercial real estate. So we want you there. We would love to have uh, a great crowd there. We'd love to have you there. And the cool thing with this conference is all the profits are going to uh, benefit charity. They're going to benefit Junior Achievement specifically, who they uh, serve underserved uh, youth, and they they bring 
financial education to them. They not only teach financial education, but they teach the, the kids how to be entrepreneurs, how to be business leaders, and how to really do fantastic things after they're out of school and, and moving on. So that's who we're uh, going to be benefiting. We're going to also have a charity gala. It's going to be a fun event, and I'd love to have you attend. So again, it's called the North Star Real Estate Conference. Check it out. We've got uh, links that we'll put on the show notes. Uh, we would love to have you there. We'd love to have you attend. Speaker lineup is coming, and uh, that'll be announced uh, shortly. We do have a few speakers already uh, lined up, so you'll be able to see that. We've got Trevor McGregor will be our keynote speaker. He's a master platinum coach. So you're going to love this event. We are going to just have a ton of fun and learn a bunch and also benefit a great organization as well. I will see you there. Check out our show notes for the links. So let, let's shift a little bit here to kind of operating. We, we know about the, the commercial side. Uh, really intriguing because it's, it's a little different than multifamily. However, a lot the same, but now you're dealing with, as you said, entrepreneurs. I'm not dealing with entrepreneurs uh, for the most part uh, in my buildings. But so let's shift though to the business side, the entrepreneurial side and, and running a business. So give us like maybe three pieces of advice on how to successfully operate a business. Well, uh, first of all, humility and gratitude, I think need to be at the forefront of your plan. Um, I think that humility is one of the best strengths you can have in business. It's, really when you can admit that you don't have it all figured out and that you need the help of, uh, for, for me, I'm a man of faith. Um, I rely heavily on my relationship with God, um, and other people. And so I think humility is a strength because if you take your ego out of the picture and you actively seek disconfirming evidence from other people about how to do things or how projects should be done or what processes should look like, then you're always going to end up with the best result. So is it about you building a company or is it about you just kind of directing, you know, the talents and resources of people? And really it shouldn't be about you. If you're a true entrepreneur, you have an idea, but the ability to inspire other people to follow your vision is at the forefront of your success. Hmm. And humility on saying, I don't have it all figured out, guys, but let's figure it out together and God, please help me. And, you know, give us favor in our business and making sure that your heart's in the right place for why you're doing what you're doing. And gratitude, being grateful for, for the blessings that are given to you by God and other people and being grateful for the team and the vendors and everybody that you have and just constantly having that attitude of gratitude really goes a long way, uh, whether it's investors or anything. So I'd say humility and gratitude are absolutely critical to long-term success. You see a lot of people out there that are killing it, but they're super cocky and they just like, you just know that at some point that's going to come back and get them. And I never wish harm on other people. Um, you know, I would pray for them <laughs> that they can change their ways before uh, bad things happen. Because ultimately, um, when you think you have it all figured out yourself and that your good results are a result of everything that you've done instead of a result of blessings that have been given to you, um, then I ultimately feel like, you know, they may not continue forever. I think you have to give credit where credit's due. So that's the first piece of advice I would have for small business owners is build your business around humility and gratitude. Uh, the second piece of advice is have a solid plan in place. And I think oftentimes we get sucked into the here and the now and driving performance or dealing with fires and putting out problems that we forget to take a step back and really truly plan stuff. So, um, you know, this is Ken Blanchard, time management 101 stuff. The one minute manager is a great book on this, but 
you know, it talks about how the important but not urgent quadrant of our activities list is oftentimes the one that we all forget about. So it's things like training your people, uh, prospecting for new and better employees, taking a step back to think through a process that isn't going well in your company and coming up with a better way and really enlisting the help of your team and the people that are going to implement that process and having them have a say in help creating that process. So I think, you know, sharpening your ax. It's like the two lumberjacks who went out in the wood and they had a contest for who was going to chop down more wood. And uh, the contest started and the one guy just went hacking away. And, you know, he's the equivalent of your high school graduate who comes out of call or high school and starts working right away and make way more than his college counterparts. And it's like, yeah, I can't believe you're taking on all this debt. And then you fast forward 10 years at the end of the lumberjack story, the guy who sat there sharpening his ax for the first three hours ended up cutting down more trees in the four hour contest. So um, that's the college kid who's sharpening their ax. Knowledge is power. And I think that you got to get out the checkbook and show that you're real. Get a coach. You don't have this mentality of you're entitled. I see so many college kids coming out of college and, and I'm going to be completely honest. I was one of them that think like, what are you going to do for me? They go around interviewing and what are you going to do for me? That is the wrong attitude to have. Be careful who you learn and take advice from. If you want to truly be the best, find the most successful guy, find a Todd Dexheimer and say, Todd, I want to work for you. You know, teach me how to find deals and you know, the first three deals, you don't pay me a penny. I'm going to come work for you. You're going to teach me how to find deals. And in return, I'm going to bring you all these deals for free. And after I bring you three deals, maybe you let me start participating in them. Is that a deal you would do? Uh, yes. I mean, with the right person, of course. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're young and hungry and you want to get out there and you want to be successful, don't be greedy and try and grow something by yourself self like go learn a, a skill set you know robert kiyosaki has kind of the the four cash flow quadrants you know if you don't have a trade that you can grow a company around like hey i'm really good at laying brick or i'm really good at this or i'm really good at buying real estate or i'm really good at managing properties you need to learn a trade so you need to start by being employed but be careful where you go get employed I would say take way less money to go work for somebody who's smarter and is going to invest in building you and your processes and your skills. That's number one. The second thing is once you have those skills, you can be self-employed and now you have freedom of, of your creating your schedule, but you're still trading dollars for hours. So really crossing that chasm from being self-employed to being a bit, there's so many small business owners quote unquote, that think they own a business. And they're like the carpenter who sells all of his own work, generates all of his own leads and does all of his own projects. Sorry, Burl, you are not a business owner. You're self-employed. And there's a key difference and it's people. It's not until you learn how, and it's a completely different skill. And I uh, clearly am not that fantastic at it. And I, I think it's an infinite topic. (laughs) Um, but it's an area I mean if you're self-employed and you really want to become a true business owner you need to begin with the end in mind and that's creating a business system that operates without you at all so that you can travel the world and come back and your business still functions without you and that's when your business truly becomes saleable and so I went through that process of selling my remodeling company and I had to really figure out how to put systems, people and processes in all the key departments. And that's my third piece of advice is your plan needs to have a plan for marketing. How am I going to actually generate leads consistently? Second category is your sales. How are we going to convert those leads? And third category is the operations. So when it comes to business, Moving from being self-employed to being a business owner, I highly recommend that you have a strategy for phasing yourself out of the marketing department, the sales department, and the operations department. 
And I would argue the very first hire that you need to make is in the operations department. Because if you're not good at your product or service, you're nothing. And a big mistake I see people making is they're a, a self-employed business and they start hiring people in marketing or sales. And, and they're still doing all the work themselves. Yeah. And the reality is for most companies, not all, the sales position is the highest paying, then the marketing position, then the operations position. So that's why you should start by hiring somebody who can, you can train on that skill or trade to go find real estate wholesale deals or whatever your trade is, how to lay the bricks. And then you're still doing the marketing and sales. And then eventually you start farming out the lead generation and you're just doing all the conversions. And then eventually you hire a sales rep, train them and got them good. Now, hey, if you have one sales rep, one person bringing in the leads, uh, or doing marketing or maybe, and when I say hire, they don't have to be a W2 employee. Okay. Right. You can have independent contractors who are, you know, 1099 contractors. Um, for most small businesses, that's how I would actually recommend growing because you take on a lot of business risk when you commit to salaries and how you structure your compensation is something that really fascinates me to get all the horses pulling the cart in the right direction to be able to give people that security that they, they yearn for people who are not entrepreneurs security and fear of the loss of security is the number one motivating factor as human beings. There's, there's two things that motivate and, and um, determine all of our decisions and it's, it's seeking pleasure or gain or avoiding pain. And so for many, avoiding that pain of that consistent paycheck is such a high factor. And one thing I didn't really learn is I was expecting to hire a bunch of people and have them think like me, hey, let's grow this thing together, look at all the upside. And that's just not how most people think that are going to be good employees. And learning that lesson uh, took me about 10 years to figure that out. Yeah, I laughed because I, I had a, a, when I was doing a lot of flipping, I had a fantastic contractor or subcontractor in, you know, we, I, I should have hired him as an employee because the only thing he was looking for was job security. He worked for a remodeling company and kept on getting laid off. Then he started working for me and, uh, and he wanted to become an employee. And I said, well, no, let's, you know, let's have you keep on working as a, as a sub. And he ended up taking a job, um, it's a very secure job working for a union, making, I think it was like $14 an hour. And I was, I was paying him 25 at the time and I would have easily paid him 30, 35. Like he was just, he was that good, but he had that security. This job was not going to go away and it was strong, secure job, but wasn't in his expertise, but he didn't care. He just wanted something that he could count on. Yeah. One of the things that I've always, I guess, uh, another one of those learning lessons you got to kind of keep relearning because we're, we're hardwired and we're, we're failed. <laughs> Human beings are, are failed species, right? So we all, we all have these hardwired innate tendencies and, and then we have to kind of, you know, override them by learning and, and proactive uh, self-talk and, and habits that we form to kind of overcome, you know, certain things. Um, and I, I think that is part of the struggle and why the human spirit is such a complex and interesting thing. And one of those for me was kind of this, I see the world through my lens. So why doesn't everybody else? And right. as like a diehard entrepreneur, entrepreneurship major guy, like, for me, it was so hard to like wrap my head around why somebody was just so dead set on that consistent pay. Yeah. And I kind of always felt like it was my duty to inspire them to a better lifestyle and stuff like that. And you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make a drink. Now you can salt the oats so that they're more likely to drink when they get to the water. And I'll do a little bit of that. I'll try and give them some inspiration or show them, you know, hey, maybe you don't know what you don't know. But at the end of the day, I've kind of pulled back on really coming, you know, hard at people about 
you know, that they need to be doing this or they should be doing that. And it's like, Hey, this is out there if you want to pursue it. And if you do want to pursue it, I'm willing to coach you and help you, you know, for a fee, of course. (laughs) Um, But really it's a, it's a, it's about, um, it's about, you know, figuring out what people's need and core driving factors are. And I found that security or the loss of that consistent paycheck for so many people, that is a fear that is just so real for them. Yep. Some people are just hardwired that way. They're going to be employees their whole life. Yep. You know, so not everybody needs to go through the the hierarchy of from employee to self-employed to business owner. And the last one's obviously investor investing your own money. Now that you have a successful residual income coming in from your business and you're working on your business when you want, but you don't have to, cause you're not working in your business. That's such a great feeling when you get to that point. Um, and real estate, uh, really needs to be viewed as a business. I see a lot of investors that are really managing all their own stuff. They're doing their own books. They're doing this, that, and the other. And I'm like, Hey man, you, you got a business, but, um, you know, is your business working for you or are you working for your business? Yep. Yeah. You know, that's, so- that's kind of what this podcast is really meant to, to, you know, kind of help is that a lot of it invest. So many investors think real estate investors think they're in, in the investor quadrant. And when they're really, running a business, like you said, and it, they, they, a lot of people think it's so transactional. Well, it's, or it's about the transaction. It's about how you can actually run the business. Yeah, absolutely. So like, if you're the dude out there and you just bought your first flip and you're in there swinging hammers and you're running to the store and grabbing materials and all that stuff, like I hate to tell you, but on the, the four quadrants, you're not an investor. Yeah, you, well, you're an you know, you're right? actually self-employed. Yeah. <laughs> a business owner would be where you bought that house and now you're managing crews to flip it. You're managing all the other things. Now you have a team in place that's doing all that. The investor would be the guy who's just giving money to the dude flipping the properties and right. he's making a return on his capital. Yep. Yep. You got it. Um, what's a, what's a mistake that you've made? And how have you learned from it? Forgetting that humility and gratitude need to be at the forefront of my business. There you go. Uh, it's a daily lesson. I have it as my screensaver on my phone. What else do I have on there? I have connection, gratitude, humility, health, honesty, grace, quietness, and creativity and joy. Those are my, and lightheartedness. Those are my, my words that I have to look at every time I unlock my phone. Um, but like I said, you know, it's just constantly pounding positive messages into your brain. And a mistake that I've made is just getting lax, just like getting to the point where you're like, yeah, man, I'm really killing it. And it's like, no, these are, you know, other people in my life are the ones that are making all this happen. And God, and I'm, I'm not trying to be all spiritual on your thing here, but it's something that, that is important to me in my life. Um, yeah. And you look at a lot of the very, very successful people and whether it's, you know, whoever you want to call your God, but they believe in something bigger than themselves and they, you know, they will um, put God or other people at a minimum in front of themselves and give credit where credit's due. And yeah. at the end of the day, like you can be the biggest guy on earth, but like, if you're just taking all the credit for yourself, you know, what's the point? So that's a big mistake that I've made is forgetting that and having to relearn that lesson. It's always doing that. Another yeah, big lesson. Humble, you're going to be miserable. You know, you, like you said, there's a lot of people that get cocky and, and think it's, it's about themselves. And those people at the end of the day just aren't going to be very happy. True that. Uh, probably the other biggest lesson that I've learned is growing too quickly and hiring the wrong people. I think that when it comes to the skill of people, which is the critical skill that you need to invest in your own training, because it is, believe it or not, it is a skill that is actually like you can master the skill. Like there is a science behind people. It is not just an art. Many people think it's just an art of dealing with people. Like There's a scientific approach. And there's a lot of good resources out there. And it's something I'm really paying attention to investing in myself with books and kind of YouTube videos and 
uh, you know, coaches in that area because if you can spend more time finding the right people and giving them the training support and tools that they need, you can truly build something magical together. And it's just so much more fulfilling at the end of the day to, to develop people. And that's why our, our tagline is not just developing places, but it's developing people, places, and ideas. I love getting creative and rolling up my sleeves about how we're going to solve some complex problem to purchase a property. How are we going to solve some structure, some super creative solution to fund a property? Uh, to renovate a property, to come up with lease terms. Like that's the cool thing about commercial real estate. It's not like, Hey man, this unit is 950 a month. You want it or not? It's like, Hey man, let's get, you know, these leases are 35 pages. So you can get super creative about all the terms of how you structure your acquisition, how you structure your funding and your capital stack, how you structure your, um, so your partnerships essentially, and how you structure your your relationships and contractual agreements with your tenants and with your contractors. Yeah. Um, and even your property manager. We're setting up our property management where we don't get paid just a flat fee on gross. There's bonuses for keeping the building full and stuff like that. Again, having all the carts pull in the right direction. So uh, bad contracts can really come back to bite you. Um, and if you want to get really, really good, pay more attention to investing in the skill of developing people and spend more time on the front end finding the right people rather than just hiring the wrong person and then spending too much time trying to put a square peg in a round hole. Ask me how I know this. Yeah. yeah. I hear you. <laughs> I'm, I'm right there with you, man. Right um, what, uh, what's, a, what's a book? good book that you've read, let's call it just recently, maybe in the last year, year and a half uh, that you can recommend to the audience? If you're just getting started or you want to transition, I, I highly recommend um, How uh, to Invest in Commercial Real Estate for Dummies by uh, Peter Conti. Okay. It's a really good one. The other one I highly recommend is uh, the Due Diligence Handbook especially in commercial real estate, due diligence is such an area where you can just be lazy or you can structure away a massive amount of risk for your investors in the due diligence period. And they give you all the checklist forms and a whole process behind how to do it that we've implemented in our business. And I feel like we really remove, I mean, you're always going to have some risk, but I feel like we really um, remove the vast majority of the risk in our projects through a really systematic approach to due diligence. Yeah, there's there's so too many things that can go wrong if you're not gonna if you're just gonna gloss over due diligence, you're you're gonna get caught eventually. Yep, that's what it is. And so and, and again, you know, there's the locus of control concept. Those with an internal locus of control think that they, you know, they when things go good for them, they say that it was, you know, other people who did it and they give the credit away. But when things go bad, they say it was me and how can I fix it and get better? I, I scored like 10 out of 10 on internal locus of control. Uh, external locus of control are the people who live their lives blaming all their problems on other people and their yeah. circumstances. They find themselves in, you know, oh, he was racist. I have, you know, yellow skin or whatever the case may be. I mean, time and time again, if you live your life, putting the control in your life outside of you, that's external locus of control. Um, you're bound to um, blame others when things go bad. And then when things go good, you actually tend to say, oh, you know, I did good on this one. So it's the complete yeah. opposite of the internal. And I find the most successful entrepreneurs have very far internal locus of control and anybody in sales. It's the people who have the external locus of controls. Those people are probably better stick to just being an employee because they're never going to lead people. Yeah. 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 They're always blaming others for, for their perils. Um, so we got to wrap up. I want to ask a couple last questions. Um, what are your three pillars of wealth creation? 
my three pillars of wealth creation, uh, I would say number one. So we're, we're just talking like streams of income. However you want to answer it, man. All right. Mindset. My three pillars of wealth creation, I would say are, uh, uh, connection, connection to God and people. Uh, my second pillar would be, uh, business income. So actively growing businesses that are scalable and saleable. So right now I'm growing five businesses concurrently. Um, and then the third one would be residual, um, real estate income. So I think you got to grow kind of these active businesses to create kind of that active. Yeah. I don't ever, I try and avoid the word passive income because nothing's truly passive. Right. But, right. um, I mean, as passive as you can get, you know, um, by putting systems and people in place. So for me, it's not about just grinding every single day to do more deals. It's about getting real, um, specific on what are the processes we need to put in place. Thinking five years ahead, I'm going to sell this company for a million dollars or $10 million and working backwards into what I need to be doing today in terms of putting processes in place. Yep. Yep. Cool. Um, all right. So the last question is how can our listeners get in touch with you? Uh, well, check out our podcast. Todd was a, a guest on there. I recommend checking that out. Uh, we're on wherever you listen to podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, uh, TuneIn, uh, Creative Commercial Real Estate Podcast. You can also check us out at uh, www.creative.realestate. And um, you can call uh, our office and get through to me if you press the um, leasing and brokerage prompt. And that's 612-877-8600. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Mike, I appreciate the time. Uh, tons of good value. So thanks for talking about your business, uh, about what you guys do, and also, you know, talking about uh, just business in general and, and really how to be successful in it. And some uh, mindset stuff, uh, humility and gratitude, you mentioned quite a bit and, you know, all, all the stuff that you really talked about and hit on really good stuff. So appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me on the show. The, the, the other thing I guess uh, is on YouTube, if you type commercial investors group, you can find us on there as well. We okay. got a lot of really cool video series coming out for buyers and stuff, and that's all free content too. So you've been a blessing, Todd. I really appreciate you having me on the show. The last thing I need to mention too, Mike, uh, you are a part of the North Star Real Estate Conference. You're going to be A, speaking at it, and you're also helping uh, organize the whole thing. So you're putting in a lot of hard work on that, and I appreciate that. That's something that um, you know we're looking forward to doing and hopefully uh, get a lot of uh, great people. Uh, we already have a lot of great people speaking, and we're going to have a lot of great people attending as well. Yeah. You guys need to go get tickets for that at nreconference.com. And uh, I think we have like 25 superstar speakers coming in. We got a couple of root like Chris Sherman and um, who's the other fellow we got? Chris Sherman, Trevor McGregor. Trevor McGregor. Yeah. He's like the, the ultimate coach. Uh, Chris is like, you know, a legend here in the twin cities and yeah. stuff. So go get tickets uh, out there online and stuff. It's, it's going to be a phenomenal real estate conference. And the frosting on the cake is that all of the money you pay goes to charity. Yeah. Um, yeah. So pretty cool stuff that uh, Todd put together there. And I'm just happy to be a part of that. Yeah. Well, I appreciate it. All right, Mike. We'll have a good rest of the day. Take All right, care. you as well. Take care. A special thanks to Mike Sowers for joining us on the show, and I appreciate him spending time with us and giving us a ton of value, lots to learn and take away from this episode. So take you know, one or two things from this episode and apply it to your business. Apply it to your business this week and, and see the difference that uh, that makes. 
uh, three things that I took from this episode, uh, along with uh, uh, definitely many others, is first of all, humility. Mike talks uh, about humility and really about not thinking that you have it all figured out um, and just being being humble, um, you know, in, including other people, making sure you understand really who's making everything here work. Uh, the other thing he talks about is gratitude and being grateful for those who help you, being grateful for those who get you to where you're at. Be grateful for the opportunities that were given to you. And uh, the last thing he talks about is connection, being connected to uh, other people and to God. Uh, again, appreciate Mike for joining us on the show and make every day a Saturday. Hey, thanks for listening to the show. couple things before we go. Again, go on to our Facebook page, Pillars of Wealth. We'd love to have you on there. Go on to iTunes, give us a rating and review, and subscribe to the show. Also, um, you know, don't forget, reach out to me if you want any help with uh, potentially growing your business and reach out to John Styles to help you buy or sell real estate. Thanks for listening. We appreciate it. Have a fantastic the rest of the day. And as I say, make every day a Saturday.